The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. As I'm recording this, this today is my uh, oldest daughter's birthday. She's turning nine today, the last year in the single digits. It's a big year, so I'm pretty excited. I'm going to pick her up from school and, uh, I don't know, just buy her some mall junk or something like that, something fun. But um, it's crazy, right, when you think about being a kid. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, and I remember feeling like when I was nine years old that $20... Right, a twenty-dollar bill seemed like a lot of money, and this is like, let's see, when I was like uh, nine years old, that was in the '80s, and I remember how I had this little checking or savings account or something like that at the bank, and the interest rates were so high, and and I think my parents had put some money in a bank account for me, and I used to just go to the bank when I was nine or ten years old and pull out the interest. The interest rates used to be you know, double digits, right? They were like mid-teens in the 80s, um, back in the days with the hyperinflation, et cetera. And so I'd pull out $20 at a time and it just seemed like so much money. It's crazy, right? And then when I was a surgical resident, years later, I was in San Francisco making 50,000, less than $50,000 per year. In fact, when I started out as a neurosurgery resident in Michigan, my first year, I made $35,000 unbelievable. And what's more amazing about that is that I actually had money in the bank, like it wasn't all gone because I was working so many hours that I didn't have any time to spend it anyway. So at any rate, by the time I was done it in San Francisco as a chief resident, I was making about $50,000. And my faculty, my staff, my professors, they were making, well, they were probably making between three and yeah, probably about three and four hundred thousand dollars living in San Francisco. And that sounded like a lot of money, right? First twenty dollars sounded like a lot of money. And then when I was a resident, three hundred thousand dollars sounded like a lot of money, but living in San Francisco, boy, that's not a lot of money. And then I embarked on my entrepreneurial and professional investing journey. And since then not to brag, but you know, I've had several $300,000 months. It's not every month, but I've had months where I've made $300,000. And now, when I think about it, making $10 million in one year sounds like a lot of money. Now, I've had the good fortune of being able to break through these kinds of mental barriers multiple times in my life to get to the next level. And hopefully I'll look at this, you know, current uh, a lot of money barrier and I'll look back at the days when making over $10 million in a single year and having a nine-figure net worth seemed like a lot of money. Does that seem realistic to you? Well, it does to me. And 
and I'll tell you why. Because all of the barriers that we have in our lives, all of them are self-inflicted. We create our own boundaries. They don't really exist. They're boundaries created in our own minds. You hear about, you know, how Steve Jobs used to do this thing where he used to erase reality and go into some kind of like uh, self-made-up reality that they could push the limits at, at Apple and get everybody else to believe and get on board. Well, he was a master at this kind of thing. And to a certain extent, I think Donald Trump is a master at this thing. I mean, look at where this guy's gone. It's crazy. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a master at this thing. The guy comes uh, from Austria with no money, becomes a bodybuilder, becomes an actor, becomes governor of California. I mean, wow, right? Recognizing this whole idea that we create our own boundaries is critically important if you want to continue to develop not only financially, but as a person in general. You know, the other day I was trying to think of what my biggest fear in life is. And it's not death, and it's not dying broke, right? That's what you hear most frequently when you ask people what their fear is. And and sometimes I don't think that it's even true. I think those are the first things that pop up into people's minds. You know, for me, my biggest fear in life is hitting a plateau and then not really growing anymore, not moving vertically, not moving towards something anymore, right? Just kind of just being in one place and that's your plateau. That's it, right? Just kind of not growing. And it's an easy trap to fall in, isn't it? I mean, let's say you're like me and one day you watched a TV show and you decided you wanted to be like those TV doctors and you became a surgeon, the next thing you know, you were on a mission. You went to college. You worked hard. You got good grades and the test scores. And you studied your butt off for years and finally became that person that you inspired to be, right? For me at that time, it was, I want to be a brain surgeon. Anyway, you got there. But five years into your dream, you started wondering to yourself, is this it? I mean, it seemed so much more exciting and glamorous as a dream than it did, than it does in reality. In fact, now it seems like, well, a job. And suddenly that thrill of being a fancy surgeon kind of worn off. And the problem is that you didn't really think of anything past that in the first place. And even worse, now you've created a world for yourself that is highly dependent on your salary and you feel like you don't have any options anymore and and gosh you're too old because now you're 40 something and you can't change right and you're shackled to the golden handcuffs and while others can't understand why you with your fancy titles your doctor your md your des or whatever it is and your fancy house and your bmw i mean others can't figure out why you don't seem particularly happy You see, I believe that there's really only two states of being, and that's part of our problem. Those states of being are growth and death, right? If you're not growing as a person, if you're not constantly learning and developing as a human being, you're pretty much already dead in the figurative sense. I'm not talking about dying broke, that kind of thing. I'm talking about the figurative sense, and to me, Being such a metaphorical zombie is the worst thing that could happen. 
Now, how do you prevent that from happening to you? Well, that is a very, very important question. And my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast today, Michael Burnoff, is an expert on exactly these types of things. And so when we come back, Michael Burnoff from the Human Communications Institute is going to join us. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets, such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com, accesswealthaviation.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is a really interesting guy who have I, I've had the pleasure of getting to know a little bit through a mastermind group that we both belong to. His name is Michael Burnoff. He's a president and founder of the Human Communications Institute, which is a leader in the personal and professional development industry. He works directly with individuals uh, as well as corporate executives who desire to transform their corporate culture in every uh, in every single way. Uh, during his own journey of self-discovery, Michael studied and modeled effective leaders recognized worldwide. He focused on philosophies, strategies, and techniques that have consistently produced rapid and lasting change. And by combining a variety of these proven disciplines and his own strategies, Michael has created his own programs that have enabled both him and his clients to overcome limiting beliefs and achieve life beyond limits. I like the sounds of that. Michael, welcome to the show. Buck, I'm thrilled to be here. This is going to be uh, it's going to be an adventure. I love the intro, too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Now, Michael, so you are into stuff that, uh, you know, I'm starting to find very interesting, which is, you know, just being able to sort of tap into your the way your own brain works and, and, and trying to manipulate it, almost like, a, you know, like a surgeon, except, you know, operating on your own brain, right? I mean, in fact, I know it's a, a thing surgeon and a puppet master where you're actually <laughs> holding the strings. Yeah. And a voodoo doctor all coming along with some very simple common sense with Google instructions. If you could actually pay attention. There very you simple. Go. How'd you get into this stuff in the first place? I, uh, by accident, I will tell you, I, as an entrepreneur, and I love that, uh, you know, you and I have backgrounds, you know, a lot of times doctors don't see themselves as entrepreneurs, but that's probably where they go wrong as a doctor, right? Well, I'm an but, entrepreneur who doesn't see myself as a doctor. 
I, you got it backwards. <laughs> you got it backwards. But I know a lot of people like a lot of times people don't see themselves as an entrepreneur. They see themselves as what they do. Like, and for me as an entrepreneur, when I first got started, here's the real short story of like a 20 year period of my life. I've been working on this is as an entrepreneur, I struggled. Uh, I had two great parents. I absolutely love, I still love my parents. They're amazing. Didn't have the ability to teach me how to make it as an entrepreneur. They gave me the whole work hard, you know, do the right thing. You know, one day you'll get there and that doesn't cut it in the real business world. So I found personal development and one day I'm at an event and I was looking for some answer how to basically survive at that point in my business career. And a gentleman asked this question from stage and there were like 200 of us in there, 200 business owners. And I, I stood up and when he asked the question, he goes, how many of you are business owners? And I stood up, even though I didn't really see myself that way, I knew I owned a business, right? Then he said, how many of you are salespeople? And it was something I was scared of, I wasn't that good at, but I knew I had to do and I raised my hand and so did the rest of the room. And it's amazing how I was like being from New Jersey originally, how somebody could startle you and it changes your life. The guy looked at us with all of our hands raised as business owners that are salespeople. And he said, every one of you with your hands up is a sucker. He goes, why would you wanna be a salesperson when you could learn how to be a person of influence? And that day, my life, those words changed everything for me. I didn't realize that being a person of influence is something you can become to influence others. And I was so naive and so messed up, I guess, at that point in my life that all I could see is make money with it. I had no idea that those same skills to influence another person to buy or to make money or to sell can be used for the most powerful things. Like you get in a fight with your wife or your husband, how do you deal with your day or how to influence your kids to do their homework or how to influence your clients to truly listen or how to influence yourself to not be bothered or how do you influence yourself to stop making six figures and start making seven? It's the same strategy you can use to get somebody to buy. So I have been obsessed with human psychology for about 20 years now. And I am a huge student of it and I love sharing with other people. You know, the reason I wanted to get you on this show, uh, other than the fact that I like talking to you in general, is I think- I enjoy you too. I'm glad everyone else showed up. Yeah, there you go. I think your message is, you know, actually really relevant to people who listen to this show, who typically are highly trained, highly paid professionals, you know, doctors, lawyers, engineers. A lot of time, people look at people like us and and I'm at this point I'm putting on my doctor hat right because you know I'm, I'm I don't really think. Do you have a white right. Do you have a white coat on too, or uh, we, we, pull it, we all in? You're just lucky I'm not wearing boxers right now. And, and I get it. it. <laughs> so, I got it. <laughs> but a lot of people look at you know people like us and they say, why aren't you with your six figures, your nice house in the suburbs, all that? Why aren't you super happy? Right. Okay. And. And in a way, we're underserved, right? Because it's almost like we don't have the right not to be somewhat dissatisfied with life. Do you run a, run across that a lot? Because I think I see that a lot. So you, you see a lot of people that are doing okay and they're still unhappy, correct? Yeah, they're doing well. By, by okay. metrics of society, they are doing very well. But, but, yeah. but they, 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 you know, they've had their sights set on something, right? I want to be a surgeon and I'm going to have yep. this, I'm going to have this income. And then they get there and they're like, oh, well, maybe I wanted something more. Now what? I'm already stuck here. So it's like you finally get what it is you want. And when you get it, it didn't show up the way you wanted it to show up. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I talk to people a lot about goal setting and getting what they want and traditional stuff from a different sense. And what's fascinating is typically when I, I share with everybody, like, what do you want? And they say, oh, you know, this house on the hill and, you know, work three days a week and, um, you know, have a business I love and, you know, beautiful family. And it's funny, they never put themselves in the picture. And it's fascinating. It's a, it's a neuro program people don't do it. So it's like, there's this picture of their two kids, their dog, their house on the hill, their wife or their husband, and they're not even in the damn picture, okay? Yeah. And it's almost like they died and their family got the life insurance money and that's how they got all the money. So it's- <laughs> That's bad, right? That's a bad I mean, that, that's right, right off the bat. Most of us don't put ourselves there. We see the stuff, we see the thing, but we're not actually in the picture. So I'm not here to sound like the secret and a bunch of like positive thinking, Sedona style mumbo jumbo. Yet at the end of the day, I believe, and this is where I think most people go wrong. This goes a lot into what's going to be happening with my book over the next few months, which you and I were talking about, is that I believe that most people's lives are a direct reflection of a problem that they had prior. So I take a look at me, and when I was, I'm going to be one of these people that like finally got a quarter of a million dollars a year a decade ago, and and I'm, and I mean like income, not my business, right? Like I had all my expenses, I wrote everything off. It's kind of equivalent to making a half a million a year. And I'm like, what the hell, I'm not where I wanna be. I recognize that making a quarter of a million back then was a dream for the guy making 30 grand a year and barely getting by. So I think most of our plans are decided in a place of struggle and survival and not, not based on standing in the position of if your problems were solved, what would you want? So I believe I don't want to speak for you, but being a doctor, being a surgeon back in the day might have been a dream for the child you were. Significance and fame and money. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was a decision based on an immature concept. So if you want me to dig deeper on this, I can with you or we can take this well, and run with it. Let, let, you know, it, it, it brings me to something we talked about, which I thought was interesting. Right. And I said to you. Uh, and and I, I'm probably better than most at digging myself out of that because, I mean, I went from uh, neurosurgery resident and academic guy and stuff and not practicing and being, uh, you know, and, and then I went to plastic surgery and, and then ultimately not practicing and just being a full-time investor talking about money and, and how to make it and that sort of thing because mm -hmm. it's what I like to do, right? But I told you about this problem that I have, which is a... Uh, which is um, which? Which most people? Uh, Why don't you lay on the couch as you tell me, Buck? Right. Just, just as most people would not consider this a problem, and it's not a problem. It's just something I've noticed about myself, which is I can create a business that can make a million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm talking about profits, right? But I, yeah. I can't seem to get to put myself into a position where I know really how to build a $10 million a year profit business or a $20 million a year profit business. And it seems like ridiculous. Like, why would you even see that? I'm just, I, I'm not saying that I feel bad that I can't, but I'm starting to see that I'm up against this wall. Like I can build five different businesses that do a million dollars each. And that may be my only way to do, you know, continue to, you know, make, make more and more money. But on the other hand, why can't I just be the guy who builds a business that throws off $10 million a year? You know what I mean? 
So, yeah, I'll give you the real yeah. answer, and you most people flinch at this, but I don't think you're flinching because we're not in in the in the same locale right now. It's easy to say. Um, you can't. You personally can't do what it is you want, and it's a weird thing for a motivational guy to say. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying your problem is one thing that I address in my book is your average. And I'm not calling you average is that you have an average of what you do. And it's, it's no different than a real estate agent that through three economies of recession and boom and bust and everything, they make about the same amount of money. Like you have an average of what you currently do in your life and you'll get there automatically. So I'll give you an example about if you took off eight months of the year, did nothing. You and I went to Tahiti. Do you like Tahiti? Go there. Is that where we're at? Never been um, there. Never been, but we're in Tahiti. It sounds nice, right? Mm -hmm. And we sit on the beach for eight months. You and I. Last two months of the year, your brain's gonna go, "What the hell? We didn't make a million dollar business this year." And then you would find a way to do it in two months. Right. To do the ten million dollar business is equivalent to you teaching me neurosurgery. I'm not gonna learn that in five minutes, and I'm not designed to do that yet. So. To change that, I'm not saying you personally cannot become the person that can do that. I'm just saying your current actions, state, mental aptitudes right now are designed to get what you currently have, give or take 10% one way or another. Now, is it mental aptitude or psychological aptitude? Social settings, um, uh, programming, uh, mental aptitude, maybe the incorrect word, maybe I, I pulled the wrong word out of my vocabulary. But truly, your current programming, programming is designed to do this specific thing. It's like when we were kids, we had 52 channels on a TV. There was the neighborhood guy that would that would um, would have a broken box, and he could he could break into the cable channels and give you 300 channels. Remember that back in the day before the internet? Yeah. The one guy that had the box or whatever. If you hook up to that, that's a whole other story. So you don't have access yet to that level of thinking, but it's not hard to do. It just requires playing a different game than the one you're currently playing. So uh, th this is sort of reminds me of something, and tell me if this is around kind of what you're talking about. So I remember when I was starting my first business and I got a consultant and uh, because I, I had no idea how to start a business. And okay. he, he did a pro forma for me. And at the time, I was doing pretty good. I mean, it was like my... You know, I had one job before I got fired and I was making like four, you know, 40 or 50 grand a, a month. And uh, this guy comes up with a pro forma and he shows me uh, that my my overhead is going to be, uh, I think it was thirty five or forty thousand dollars a month. And I looked at him. I'm like, are you crazy? How am I going to make 40 grand a month? And then on top of that, make more money for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. But now, like one of my businesses, for example, has got like a, uh, you know, it's like a $400,000 a month nut every month. And I don't, believe me, I don't like it. It's painful. But now it doesn't seem like a big deal. Now it's like what used to seem like monopoly money totally changed, right? Now I don't flinch when you talk about fifty, sixty, dollars $100,000 at a time. But that's not the same person that I was. For sure. Yeah, your your average changed. It's like yeah. when I had trouble paying rent after college of like fifteen hundred bucks a month. It seemed like so much money, right? Right. I think the rent was actually eight hundred, but with the late fees, it was fifteen hundred, <laughs> right, right? right? And the right. eviction fees and reinstatement yeah. fees. I was trying to figure this shit out, right? Right. And um, what happened is you're, you you turn into 
yeah, you change your average. So like your level of risk, because what happens is when you start doing well, you start being scared to lose what it is you have. So you stop doing the things you need to do. It's kind of like a relationship. The same relationship you have with money is like your relationship you have when you're dating. When you first meet somebody, man, you do everything. Game on, yeah. whatever, take risks, go for it. You know, you're, you're all excited. And then like you finally make a relationship work and it's like you don't want to lose it. So you stop doing the things that worked in the first place. And then the relationship dies. Yeah. So the reason my business works is massive risk on the way in. Uh, very little worry or the worry wasn't about the business. It was just worry. I just had to do what I had to do. So I believe we go in protection mode. And that is why we try to survive where it is we have because we get comfortable. So it is exactly what it is you're saying is that I believe you finally get what you want and you don't want to lose it. So you protect it instead and spend all your life building an identity to protect your See, If you had what it is you wanted, Buck and I and everyone else in the world, then you'd have nothing to talk about all day long because you'd already have it, right? Right. So our identity is tied to the idea of wanting it. But if you got it, it's kind of like a woman or a man that wants to lose 50, 100 pounds. If they finally lost the weight, what would they bitch about all day long? They had nothing to talk about. Right. So if you finally made a $20 million business, what would you talk about? Who would you talk about it with? A billion dollar so business, I, right? What's up? Billionaires, right? Right. Right. That's the logical answer. But is your current life designed in the home you live in and the friends you have for you to be a person that makes $25 million a year? You know, it's interesting that you say that <clears throat> because and even, I don't mean you in particular. I mean, yeah. people in general. No, I know. Right. But it's interesting that you say that because even having moved from an affluent neighborhood in Chicago to Montecito, where there's a lot of people who are, you know, you, you know, making a lot of money. I mean, like, you know, tens of millions of dollars yep. has really changed my perspective because now I feel like the, you know, uh, a, a very average guy and I don't like it. And I look yep. at these other guys and I'm like, hey, I thought I was doing great. Right. It's a good um, area to live then. That is what's going to force your average yeah. up. And the psychology of that, why that works is not go just go sell your house and move to a better neighborhood, even though I know that would work. It's putting yourself in an environment where it's not okay to stay where you're at. Right. Right. So, so one of the things that you were talking about too, is that lack of, of comfort that comes mm -hmm. from moving, you know, in this demographic specifically listeners of this show, a lot of them suffer from what I call the golden handcuffs. Yep. Right. And this is like the worst thing ever. Right. Because again, this, th this comes from so many angles. You have somebody who says, you know what? I make, you know, I'm making $400,000 a year. I'm making $300,000 a year, whatever, you know? And I have a house in the suburbs. I have a nice car. I have a nice kids to go to private school. And, 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 um, but I really want to do this other thing. And if I did that other thing, I might be a lot happier. And I actually might even make more money. But there's no way in hell I would do that because I could lose this all. And then on the other hand, the, and, and then there's people looking in saying, giving that same reinforcement that say, why would you ever give that up, right? Why would you ever try something silly like, you know, entrepreneurship, you want to start another business, you want to do something different. Why would you do that? So you're taking it from all angles. It's almost sort of a unique situation where not only are you unhappy necessarily and you can't understand why, but then other people can't understand why either, right? So it's all the things that keep you from doing anything. What do you do or say to a person like that? 
Yeah, I, I don't think anybody's got golden handcuffs. I think people become blind and or they become deaf or they become, and I don't mean physically blind or deaf, they become, have an inability to see what's around them because anybody making three to $400,000 a year in a reasonable amount of time with any intelligence and a decent network should be able to, in a 10 year period, create a business on the side, very part-time that could make as much money as their time they're making or the businesses, literally their portfolio. I mean, I've seen enough doctors over the years just get into real estate on the side and invest in things and they've made more money on the side. Mm -hmm. That's one side of the topic. So you can do that. But if you really have this dream, you've got to understand, is it a passion project or does it have to be a business? Because the tattoo approach that I always say is before you put a tattoo on your body, you should prior or, or get out of the business you're in or start getting pissy with your current business. Put a picture of that tattoo on your wall. If in six months you still love the picture, get that thing imprinted on your body. I always recommend if you're not going to take the time on a Saturday or a Sunday to, to go to events for your new business or, or take the time to meet with your web developers for your new business during the week or block off some time schedule for at least six to eight months, you're never going to do it because in any new business, what's going to happen is that any new business venture you're going to have is instantly if you quit your practice, I, I watch a lot of people, they don't use their, their practices as a venture capitalist to help them build this other venture. They get pissed at it and they get mad at their job. They get mad at their work. They get mad at what's going on. And you build up a, a very negative way to get yourself to move forward. You're attempting to motivate yourself through the pain rather than saying, man, this is so great. I'm making four or 500 grand a year. It may not be what I want to do, but what a stepping stone I got here. Reframing that and then immediately going, what is it I really want? And using the money to, to build it correctly, finding the time, finding, finding the way to <clears throat> hire that extra assistant or whatever else you need to do with that extra money to start building this other thing on the side. So I don't know if that answers the question directly, but it is a reframe people have to do. Right. Certainly there's, there's the financial part of that, right? I mean, if you could, if you feel like you want to make more money doing something, but there's something even beyond that. In my view, it seems to me, and, and, um, you know, you're the expert on this stuff, but a lot of stuff that a lot of times I think, think we have this idea, um, you know, that what we're, we're so focused on striving that when we get there, it's a big letdown because part of the excitement was the strive itself. And then, and then beyond that, I think that comes from the lack of focusing on what that mission or what that, what that outcome should look like in the first place. You know, money is a great thing. Uh, I'm a big fan of money, obviously. I have a show about money. Yep. Uh, but at the end of the day, for me, money is a way of keeping score of what I'm doing. George Newberry used that term. I love it. It's like keeping score of what I'm doing. And so what I'm trying to do myself is starting to figure out how to reset my brain to figure out what is it really that you want? You you said it best, like you know, having this image of what you want your life to look like, right? And, and, and you can do that without money. It can be simply like, yeah, I want to have like a couple days out of the week where I literally schedule in time to play tennis or something like that. Yep. I think sometimes people misunderstand that it's not necessarily money, but it's a different kind of wealth that they're after. Well, here, here's the thing. Having the want, I'm going to sound like Buddha here right now, but having the want of the thing that you want keeps you stuck because the want is not having it. The want is wanting it. So the fact that you build this big plan for yourself, see your whole, this is like, I could spend an hour talking about this game that we play in our lives. Like the most constant game we all play as human beings is the, 
we're all more powerful than we act. So we play the part of the guy or girl who can't get what we want, so we're not bored. So we spend our whole life trying to get things that we don't really want instead of just accepting we can have what we want if we just go do it. So what happens is by having a big goal, like I want to become a multimillionaire, I want to have a yacht or anything like that, we build these really big goals to validate our reality that we're not capable of having what we want because the way we see ourselves is a person that can't have it. So because you see yourself as a person that can't have it, you design unachievable things that you can't do, and then playing tennis winds up not being enough to make you happy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a game we play with ourselves. There are ways around this. It's like in our little bit of time here, we can't solve all this right now. Yet I will tell you that a lot of it has to do with drugs and addiction in our brains. And like like you get a new Beachbody DVD in the mail because you're going to work out now. And I don't like know enough about which chemicals do what. You You guys would know more. But I know that the sheer fact that you set a new goal for yourself, your dopamine leaks, your norepinephrine, your serotonin, everything fires off, right? Gets excited for about seven days, and then the monotony kicks in. And at that point, whatever you believe in, biology or God, whatever gave you a head start, now it's like you've got to create your own chemicals of excitement, and most people, you know what they do? They look for something else new to get that excitement going. So there's a dopamine rush about achieving it the first time, and then it goes away. Well, it has to go away because we're designed to achieve more. If you keep on getting high from the same thing, you're you're never gonna, it's never gonna work for you. Like you're never gonna, you're never gonna get ahead because nobody in the world would ever get ahead. So we're designed to get a high initially, not get the high, get what you want, and then go find a bigger high. So let me ask you this: Let's talk about in practical terms. Yep. What are some things? What are some habits? Things that people can do, start implementing in their life that can help them start getting some clarity and maybe help them kind of feel okay a little bit more about you know where they're at. I mean, one of the first things we got to do is you got to get honest where you're at. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that people need to do is you need to accept in your life that if you're not where you want to be in your life right now, that's not a bad thing, but you need to accept that it's okay that you're not where it is that you want to be. And that the second you decide you're not where you want to be, that's where you allow yourself to make the change. So I think one of the things we don't need to walk around saying you're miserable, but you do need some colleagues and people not to bitch and complain with, but you do need some people in your life to say, you know what? I know I'm capable of more. I know I want to do more. I'm not where I want to be because all the change happens in the world the second you decide you're not where you want to be. Number two is it's going to take a, a different formulation of questions and a different formulation of conversation with yourself. And I guess the initial conversation that most people have is like, what do I want? The real question is, what do I want to be doing? And I think that if you could ask the question instead of what do I want, what do I want to be doing? I believe doing can happen quicker than the being thing. So I think if you want to be doing tennis, then you need to position yourself to make that possible. You're just never going to announce that to yourself. If you're like, I just want all the free time in the world to play tennis. You just want to do tennis on a regular basis or once or twice a week or whatever it is. So to, to answer your question, that would be one really big thing. The other thing is, um, this is it's where a lot of I, I believe a lot of a lot of human beings that I work with they go wrong because if they take an all or nothing approach to some of the stuff instead of realizing that you've got an opportunity to design your life to how you want it to be, and you have to accept that you're doing this and that you created this model that you have and this model gives you this. So thinking that this model that you currently have, like if you've been doing the same thing for eight to ten years, I would turn around and say like I've mastered this model. I figured this out. 
worst comes to worst, I can always do this model. I'm okay. Now, my question is, are you willing to start building a new model, which means changing the conversation? So I know I went in a circle there. Does that give you enough of an answer in practicality? Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. So let's let's just break it down again. I mean, I'm so... So I, I have been honest with myself, uh, you know, I'm just saying and theoretically, I'm being honest with myself and I, I'm not real thrilled with where I'm at and I really would like, uh, you know, uh, to be, to find a, a job that, uh, or a, a vocation or a business that I'm more interested in and I've got the golden handcuffs uh, on me. What, what, what next? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they look good on you, the golden handcuffs, and they pay a lot of bills. And one is you got yeah. to appreciate them and like them. I mean, this is a decision-making mechanism, and you've got to decide what you want for your life. And especially throw a couple kids and a, a husband or a wife in that picture, a mortgage. I mean, that's yeah. a scary thing, sure. right? Sure. To, and, and you look like an asshole sometimes. I don't know if I'm supposed to curse on here or not, but I just did. And you look like a jerk because what? who are you to complain? I mean, that's nuts that you're, you're whining and complaining about um, – about your how great everything is, you gotta not care about that. Yeah. You've got to ask yourself, like, this is a great way to look at life. What do you what is your life being used for? Like, what is this? Is it being used for being safe and being protective and comfortable? And is that enough? Or do you just have a fantasy in your head of how you want it to be? Because if you're not doing what you want to be doing and you're really willing to do what it takes, that's a different conversation. I just think that the weakest muscle for human beings is the ability to make a, a new decision. And it's scary to make a new decision. But again, I don't think we need to quit cold turkey and just stop doing what we're doing. But what we need to do is figure out what turns us on enough and start working on it as a passion project. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Well, listen, how can we learn more about you and what you're doing? Well, there's a, there's a bunch of ways. I mean, you can always go to michaelburnoff.com or uh, B-E-R-N-O-F-F. -F. I'm sure it's right all over the podcast. Yeah, we'll have it in the show um, notes too. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's, that's one of the things you can just check me out on there. Um, catch me on, on, in, on Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that. But, um, I'm put together a little website for you guys. And I, I think this will, this will open up your ears to an idea. It's a, a little video that I wanted to give you about probably what you're going through and what you're dealing with right now. And if you go to this page, michaelburnoff.com and michaelburnoff.com forward slash, uh, wealth formula podcast. And when you go there, just spell it all out, michaelburnoff.com forward slash wealth formula podcast. There's a video on that page that'll speak to you. And it's all about something I'm going to be covering in my book soon. Plus it gives you access to be on the, uh, the pre-launch of that, which is going to be incredible. And when you go to the webpage, I want you to want, you know, get access to the video and in about four minutes, it's going to answer a very, very powerful question for you that you may have been thinking all along. And I think it's going to put a metaphor to what it is you're going through. So check that out and uh, we'll go from there. And I'd love to, any way I can share and help, you know, track me down, find me, call my assistant and any way I can help, I'd love to. Michael's got a lot of skills and we only covered just a little bit of it. But uh, Michael, thanks so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. Buck, appreciate you so much. And thank you, everybody. And um, go out there and get your life the way you want it. You deserve it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview with Michael. Now, listen, I truly believe that the mindset dictates at least 90% of your financial success and really pretty much all of your success. In fact, in my course, which a number of you have enrolled and hopefully some of you will continue to think about enrolling in, the entire first module is hammering at that topic. And once again, 
if you're interested in that course, check it out at wellformularoadmap.com. It goes into a heck of a lot more detail on anything that this podcast does. Um, you know, that is one question that I've had many times uh, from some of you is, is it basically rehashing the same stuff? No, the answer is it's impossible to possibly get into the depth that we get into in that course. I mean, one example, we think we had Kevin Day on uh, the podcast for a 20, 30 minute interview. Well, Kevin spends like three or four hours talking about self, uh, talking about estate planning and asset protection. I mean, that's literally thousands of dollars of lawyer time here uh, in that course that uh, that you're that you get with the uh, your roadmap to real wealth. So check that out, wealthformularoadmap.com. Don't be a cheapskate. You got to invest in your financial education. Also, make sure to um, you know send your comments and questions uh, to me about the show. Uh, go to Speakpipe and wealthformula.com, and uh, you can hear your own voice. I mean, you know, give me your, some some of your comments, some of your questions for an upcoming show. And I'd like to get you more involved in the show itself. Anyway, that is it for me on Wealth Formula Podcast this week. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com.